Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is October 12th, uh, Thursday. Justin, great show today. Zach can't make it, unfortunately. Just me and you today. Awesome show, though. Going to have on Arad Asvandi from TSN 1050 in Toronto. First guest outside the continental United States. Kind of awkward given our name, given what we do on the show. But great interview with him. Awesome interview. Talk Blue Jays, early exit, Raptors coming up, and then Maple Leafs um, expectations going into this year, especially after the poor uh, playoff appearances they've been having in the past, you know, 10, 15 years. So we're going to talk with him a lot to get into and just overall awesome interview. We are going to start, though, Justin, uh, Divisional Series. Uh, all but wrapped in the books almost, um, uh, except the Braves, Phillies. Uh, I do want to start with the Astros twins though. Twins, great playoff appearance, uh, this past time around already a win for them, obviously making, having the first series of victory since 2002 and even the first playoff win since 2004. So definitely a win, a successful year for the twins, but I do want to start with the Astros though. Most importantly, I think Astros are going to win the World Series. I think so. I think that they have a good chance to win it, and probably they'll, they'll get back to the World Series. I mean, they're probably a dynasty right now in baseball with the way their roster is set up and the way their pitching has been. It doesn't shock me that they beat the Twins. They're they're just amazing. I don't see any team being able to beat them. I mean, the Batting, their batting is absolutely amazing. Against the Twins, eighty percent of their runs came from home runs. Uh, they gave they, they gave the Twins outfield, the Twins defense, a lot of respect. Uh, Ten home runs, and like I said, eighty percent of the runs that they scored in that series were off of strictly just home runs. Their bullpen is absolutely stacked. Brian Abreu, Ryan Presley, Hector Neres, uh, Phil Manton. I mean, you can go on and on. This team is going to be such a tough out to beat, and I think they end up going back and winning it this year again. Um, who, but let's talk about this on the flip side with the Dodgers Diamondbacks though, Justin Dodgers obviously got swept by the Diamondbacks Diamondbacks really young, hungry team looks very bad for the Diamondbacks though, especially given how weak the bullpen is for the Diamondbacks. You mentioned that we always mention on the show, the concept of rest versus rust diamond or Dodgers definitely sh- uh, showed the rust uh, off of this by but the Astros didn't. So, like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, this is does this Astro domination against the Twins make the Dodgers look that much bad? Because it really does kind of take away that whole rest versus rust debate. It does, and the Dodgers are have been a great team. They have been in the regular season, but in the playoffs, they've just turned it off the past few years. I mean, they're not the they they get to the NLCS some years, but the last two years. I think there's something wrong with the Dodgers in that clubhouse or maybe with the with the team, with the way – I mean, they get swept by the Diamondbacks. That's a team that you should beat. That's a team that you should should sweep. And Arizona right now is catching fire, very similar to the Phillies of last year as a number six seed. Yeah, Dodgers pitching was absolutely abysmal. Uh, pitching – you make the rest first rest debate. Pitching is what is supposed – to be better after a buy, it's usually the hitting that suffers. They're starting pitching. Uh, they uh, only after uh, starters were only in for four and a half 
innings over the three games against the Diamondbacks in this round. They did absolutely terrible. We know uh, Kershaw's first game, obviously, he had to get pulled out in the first inning after letting up six runs. Do- uh, Dodgers, after that first game, were never able to really return or never able to recoup. And yet, Diamondbacks end up sweeping the Dodgers. Uh, Orioles, Rangers, we'll get to the Braves, uh, Braves, Phillies last again, the only uh, series that's still in contention right now. Orioles, successful season. That's all I really have to say. They got swept by the Rangers uh, in three games, but definitely in a successful season. Uh, they were the second team ever to finish 39 games out of fourth place two years ago, and they were also the only second team in MLB history, along with the uh, 67-69 Mets, uh, that in a three-year span won 100 games and lost 100 games. So just... For their rebuild that they were able to do these last couple years, absolutely, it's just amazing for the Orioles. But I do want to ask you, Justin, are you afraid that that rebuild might be a little bit tumultuous, just given how bad they were a couple years ago? And do you think that this run, this energy that they had this year is is going to uh, flame out over the next couple years? I think it's going to flame out in the next couple years. They need pitching, obviously, with the Orioles. And that would be, I mean, Otani would be a great signing for them, but... They just don't have the luxury tax. But I think that the Orioles, that this pans out for the next few years, and they're a successful team. They're still young, and that was the problem in this series. They're more The Rangers were a more postseason-experienced team, and for the Orioles, they still need more pitching, as I just said. And I think their lineup is, their lineup is very good. They have a very good young lineup. They have a young core, and... They still, they still need, still need some help, but yeah. I don't think this. They just peak too soon in their rebuild. I think that I think Baltimore has. Uh, I think Baltimore is going to be a contender, and also another another interesting stat for the first time since 1990, about 33 years, the AL East has not won a playoff game all postseason, and three of those teams. Three teams between the Baltimore Orioles, the Toronto Blue Jays, and the Tampa Bay Rays all did not win a postseason game. That's a very interesting stat. And obviously the Yankees and the Red Sox did not make it in a very big division. Probably the best division in baseball for the past 10 years and counting. Yeah. Did not win a playoff game this time around. Jeez, I mean, you can argue now the best division is probably the NL West. Or, but yeah, I mean, that's yeah. It, with the Yankees even in the division not having won one in that long, that's that's an amazing. That's that's amazing. Yeah, I don't know what it is about that division, but hey, maybe they're they're, they're a regular season division and not a postseason division. Maybe that's just the thing that can happen sometimes. Uh, Braves Phillies, Justin. Uh, like I said, only game in the divisional series. It's still in contention. You might be going tonight. Bank will be rocking mm-hmm. as always. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, I'll, I'll leave it to you, man. I'll, I'll let you open up the field against this series. Uh, obviously, Philly uh, can close out tonight and head on to the uh, NLAS. Uh, yeah, so NLCS. NLCS. Excuse me, I know that didn't sound right. What are your thoughts, Justin, about this um, about this series so far? So far, I think it's been dominated by the Phillies, and we saw that last night. We saw that in Game 1 and Game 2. I mean, I feel like the Phillies should have won that game, and with their decisions, with the error, and sorry, leaving Zach Wheeler in, and uh, not leaving Zach Wheeler in 
for that uh, for that seventh inning there. They could have swept the Braves, and I think they close it out tonight, actually. I don't think it's going to go five now. I mean, I thought this was the game that the Phillies were going to lose, but they came out like, I mean, yeah. like they did last year. Ten runs on the board, Castellanos with two home runs, Harper with two home runs, and the stare down <laughs> of uh, Orlando Arcia, who was basically going after Harper, not saying basically trolling him, yep. and Harper just stared him down after he hit those two home runs. Trey Turner with another home run as well for the Phillies. Aaron Nola pitched a great game as well, five and two-thirds, only allowed one run. And uh, for the Phillies, they got a great chance to close it out. And their home field advantage, it's going to be rocking tonight. Ranger Suarez is going to be on the mound against Spencer Strider, who said, I mean, I he said he didn't want the crowds in the stadium, just like 2020. But I think this is going to be, I, I think the, the fans are going to get to his head tonight. And I think the Phillies are going to close it out. I think the Phillies close it out tonight and yep. we'll play, be playing the Diamondbacks in the NLCS. How concerned are you, though? I mean, this is kind of an obvious question, but if they do lose tonight and have to go back to Atlanta, I mean, is this is this arguably, just considering going to the World Series, I'm not going to, I don't know about actually in the World Series yet, but is this probably the most pivotal game the Phillies have had yet so far? I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say I'd say this is probably a pivotal game for them. Probably the most pivotal game they've had all postseason. They swept the Marlins, and they basically could have swept the Braves if they they hung on in Game Two. Well, I say that because they played a team that they were better in in the Marlins in the first round. They definitely, I mean, regular season they own the Marlins, and they obviously show that they own them in the wild card as well. Braves arguably are a better team than actually the Phillies. Um, but they, if they win against the Braves and they move on, they would play the Diamondbacks, who the Phillies also are better than and should be able to beat the Diamondbacks, especially, like I said, Diamondbacks are a very weak bullpen. So is this game, I mean, just going to the World Series, I think I am arguing that this game is probably the most important because Philly does not want to go back to, to Atlanta. They do not want to go back to Atlanta. Atlanta will be ready for them in Game 5 if they do. And this is uh, Philly's chance, I think, best chance to go back to the World Series and, uh, yeah, ultimately end up playing the Astros or the Rangers, and we'll see what happens. Possibly winning it this time. I, I think they have – I still think they have a chance to win it, even if it's against the Astros. I mean, I know the Astros are just a tough out, but the Phillies have, have caught fire, and Wheeler and Nola and, and, and even Ranger Suarez and this bullpen and this lineup – I think they're better than last year's team, in my opinion. I think they're better than last year's team. And going into game, if they do go to a game five, at least a one plus for the Phillies, is Zach Wheeler's going to be on the mound. Philadelphia currently plus 330 to win the World Series. The third best odds, Astros being the first, no surprise. Texas being behind them and then Diamondbacks. And Atlanta, Atlanta is actually, I know they're on the verge of elimination tonight, but Atlanta is actually plus 600 right now to win the World Series. That's, I mean, like I said, that game, I mean, if they win tonight, that would be, that would drop in half. They would be plus 300 if they win the night against the Phillies to win the World Series. Mm -hmm. That's a good, that's actually very good value, in my opinion, uh, if you're, you know, if you're better looking in. Because like I said, they, they win the night. That's a, that, that can actually 
turned out to be a very, very good value uh, down the line if they, you know, were able to get past that Diamondbacks and ultimately to the World Series. I do want to go to t- uh, Thursday Night Football, a little bit of a preview. Justin, I'm not really excited for this game. Uh, Broncos, Chiefs, uh, tra- uh, Travis Kelsey doesn't even know if he's going to play. I don't even know why he would play. I don't think you really need to play in this game. Honestly, I think they can beat the Broncos without Travis Kelsey. Uh, I think he just rests and gets ready for next week because, like I said, they can definitely beat the Broncos with that without Travis Kelsey. Oh, yeah, another team that shouldn't be playing on primetime, yeah. the Denver Broncos. Just look at last year. Every Broncos primetime game was a low-scoring game. It was a sloppy, ugly game. I mean, defense, defensively concerned, offensively concerned. It was just a brutal game to watch the Denver Broncos. And Kansas City's going to run away with it tonight. Chiefs are going to are going to run away. Hey, Russell Wilson, uh, funny enough, has actually been playing really well. Uh, number two in the NFL in passing touchdown rate, and number four in the NFL in passer rating. Uh, over twelve hundred yards, eleven touchdowns. He's he's getting. I mean, he's just on a very very bad team. Defense is bad now, which is Denver used to be great on defense. Doesn't have a whole lot of pieces around him. But I will say, Russell Wilson is having a quiet, sneaky resurgence this year. What do you what do you think about that? I I still don't think so. I just don't buy the Broncos here. I mean, he's. I think the locker room has has kind of lost that that uh, you know trust in Russell Wilson. And I just think the Broncos are, are really in a tough, tough position right now. And with the quarterbacks coming out, I mean, it's a big quarterback class in this draft, but with, with Russell Wilson, I mean, you can't move on from him with that big contract that he's getting paid. But I, I think that, that the, uh, I think he's having a good resurgence. I think he's likely having it. But I just don't think that he will win anything in Denver. It, I mean, with the way things are going right now, definitely not. It's their defense. Their defense is terrible. It's what keeps them out of games. Mm-hmm. The Broncos average more than 24 points a game. That's above the NFL average. Denver is top 10 in 2.26 yards per game. Wilson's 11 touchdowns, I mentioned it earlier, ranked top five in the league. Denver is top eight in the league with 5.8 yards per play and 4.9 yards per rush. I mean, they're they're really their offense actually is really not playing that bad. I mean, it's just their mm-hmm. defense that just keeps them out of these games and makes them look like so sloppy. Yeah, the seventy point blowout against Miami. We all know defense one of the worst in the league, and I feel bad. They're kind of like the Jets in that regard. I mean, the defense are just so good. They have such a or I'm sorry that the um their offensive side of the ball is so good. Uh, I mean, it's, it's I'm sorry, it's the opposite of the Jets, where the the offense is so good. But the defense lets them down. And for the Jets, it's like their mm-hmm. defense is so good, but they have absolutely no offense. And so they're just one of those teams where if they could just, you know, kind of figure out the other side of the ball, they actually would be a really, really good team. But yeah, Russell Wilson, sneaky, very sneaky season so far. Obviously, not getting talked about because he's on a very, very bad team, but might be something to look out for uh, in the next two years or so, especially if he gets traded. Let's do college football preview, Justin. Um, mm-hmm. I'll start with you. What's your closest game of the week uh, this week six in the college football slate? Closest game of the week. There's a lot, a lot of close games that I'm looking at right now. Either Oregon or Washington. The eighth ranked Oregon Ducks at Washington, number seventh ranked. That could be a very close game. And, and USC and Notre Dame. 
USC's defense lets up points, and Notre Dame doesn't have a bad offense. They're at home. I, I think USC, USC wins that game, but I, I think that could be a very close game as well. I'm going to go with, yeah, I mean, Kentucky, you just you said it, Kentucky-Missouri, that's my closest game of the week. Uh, Missouri coming off a bad loss against LSU. Kentucky also coming off a rough game against Georgia. Both teams, uh, you know, after a week bad, uh, after a week of a loss to a really, really good team, they're hungry to get back into the winning column. Kentucky has been absolutely so dominant on the ground. Their rushing attack is so good. Um, Bray Davis, I mean, he he won't be in Heisman contention, but he probably should be. He's rushed for 653 yards and eight touchdowns on the season while averaging 7.2 yards per carry. 7.2 yards per carry for a running back, even if it's college, is absolutely ridiculous. Kentucky, I think Kentucky actually will end up beating Missouri this year or this week. Looked really good against Georgia. I mean, they looked bad against Georgia, I should say, but they, they've looked good before Georgia, I was going to say. Missouri did look good against LSU, but I think LSU is actually overrated, and we talked about that in the past as well on this show. I do think Kentucky wins this game against Missouri, but both teams hungry for that to get back in that win column, so it's going to be it's going to be a really close game. What's the most intriguing storyline this week for you, Justin? Miami Hurricanes at the number 12th ranked UNC Tar Heels. It's going to be a very very intriguing game, especially with the way Miami blew the game last week. And Mario Cristobal is pretty much, you know, taking responsibility for it now. But he said, oh, I, I didn't want to kneel. Didn't want to, you know, down the ball at the end of the game at, at victory formation. We're going to see how Miami responds to that. UNC is going to be a very tough test at number 12, but... We're going to see. Uh, that's my intriguing storyline. How does Miami respond yep. to the late game screw up that ultimately lost them the game last week? And they're still ranked yeah. 25th. Yeah, right. Barely. But yeah. Yeah. My most intriguing storyline USC, terrible defense against a very bad Notre Dame. Not very bad, but underperforming uh, Notre Dame offense. In three consecutive weeks, Notre Dame has been held at 21 points or less. Uh, but like I said, US, USC's defense is very bad. Um, USC needed three overtime overtime victories to get past Arizona to improve to 6-0. and Kayla Williams um, still playing very well, but heroics on a questionable two-point conversion call. And Trojans pulled out of a 43-41 victory after trailing 17-0 in the first half. So that's my most intriguing storyline. It's a pretty abysmal defense going against an underperforming offense and i actually think notre dame could have a chance to upset usc this week it's it's definitely could be in my upset of the week category as well because usc has not looked good on the defensive ball like i said they are definitely due for an upset i think notre dame has been pretty unhappy with their recent losses or loss i should say and yeah i think um yeah, I, Notre Dame is going to be hungry to, to, to get on the win board as well. Speaking of upsets, though, Justin, what is your upset alert this week? For me, my upset alert of the week is Kentucky on upset alert against Missouri. Missouri's a very good offense. They almost beat LSU last week. If LSU doesn't put up 49 points and Missouri basically exposes their weak defense, Missouri's a very good offense and a very sneaky team. Maybe they should even be ranked 25th instead of Miami. I mean, you can put that up for debate. But this is going to be a very sneaky game for 
Missouri, and they're on the road at Kentucky, who is ranked 24th. So that's that's my upside alert of the week is Missouri at Kentucky. Yeah, my upset upset alert of the week, like I said, I already mentioned USC uh, in Notre Dame. That's an upset alert for me, but I'm also going to go with Texas A&M and Tennessee. If it wasn't for their terrible second half last week against Alabama, Texas A&M would have beaten Alabama, I think. Uh, They were only a few plays away from really taking them down. Uh, Six combined sacks for and eight tackles last week against Alabama. But like I said, first half, they were... Going into halftime, they were up 17-10 to 10 against Alabama, but second half was absolutely abysmal. Uh, the Tide outscored the Aggies 16-3. to 3. Um, Yeah, so that's my upset of the week. I think Texas a and a pretty good team. They're really, really upset after last week, and they're going to upset Tennessee this weekend. Uh, and it's going to be, yeah, Tennessee definitely on upset. I'm actually looking at what the line is right now. I'm, really, I'm actually curious about this because – I think they do have a chance to take away the victory. So let me uh, – I can't find it off. Oh, oh, minus three. Yeah, Tennessee, only minus three. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. And that's uh, that's my upset of the week. Uh, Justin, what is your shootout of the week? Shootout of the week, I got Oregon at Washington. This is going to be an offensive juggernaut of a game. Washington with the number one ranked offense in passing yards. And Oregon has a very, as the second ranked offense in college football right now. I mean, this is this is yeah. going to be the top two offenses in college football right now. And Bo Nix for Oregon and Michael Penix Jr. for Washington. That's going to be a very interesting quarterback matchup there. I think this is going to be the shootout of the week. This could this this is going to end in the fifties. Yeah, can it be anything else besides this game? That's also my shootout of the week. Uh, over under sixty seven and a half. I think that's actually pretty accurate. That's a really really big over under, but that like I said, that's definitely accurate. Two of the best offenses in the league. Uh, Oregon total yardage um, is five hundred fifty seven point eight a game, and Washington um, five hundred sixty nine yards per game uh oregon's ranked second in that category with the most yards and washington's ranked third in that category uh future big 10 schools coming up rivalry is going to be a thing going down the stretch for sure bo nix michael Penix jr matchup i mean you really can't say any more about this this game is just going to be so explosive point, point total as i already mentioned is approaching 70 that's absolutely absurd especially for college yeah, this is going to be such a fun game. This is going to be the game that's on everyone's TV uh, front and center. And yeah, it's a must-watch, not only a shootout, but also a must-watch. Other side of that spectrum, Justin, what is your snoozer of the week? Snoozer of the week, I got Florida at South Carolina. This could be an upset game for South Carolina because Florida struggles on the road. But this isn't you know, a very exciting and intriguing matchup for sure. Yeah, I'm going to go with um, Iowa against uh, Wisconsin. Uh, this game, yeah, this Iowa's only averaging 21 points a game. Both offenses are not high power at all. Um, big implications, though. Although it's a snoozer of the week as far as, you know, offensive power and uh, this actual total score is going to be, huge implications for the Big Ten West coming up. Uh, it's 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 going to be a close game for sure. Snoozer because the offense is going to look terrible, but it's actually going to be 
uh, pretty uh, significant game, especially going halfway through the college football season here, because it's at the end of the season, it's going to this game is going to ultimately have a huge uh, decision against who's going to come away with the Big Ten West title. But yeah, don't expect a lot of scoring in this one, and uh, it's going to be my snoozer of the week. One of those games, I'm interested in what the final score is, but probably won't have it on my TV on Saturday. All right, Justin, NHL is back. I want to briefly touch on this. It just started Tuesday night. Um, Penguins, Blackhawks, biggest game to talk about, obviously, that started off on Tuesday night. The first game of Connor Bedard's career. Um, faced off against Sidney Crosby. The 2005 number one overall pick way back then. Uh, Bedard got an assist in the Blackhawks, got his first point in the NHL, and then ultimately last night, Wednesday, he actually had his first goal as well. What other big takeaways, either from this game or just the NHL being back in general, Justin, do you, do you want to bring up with this? Well, Connor Bedard is going to be a, is a star in the making. And, the, and coming back against the Pittsburgh Penguins on Tuesday night with a 4-2 to win, he was a big part of that game, and he's probably going to be another star in this league for years to come with the Blackhawks. They got a steal getting the number one pick this year. Yeah, we're going to try to have on either Chris Peters, recurring guest from the past, or I know he, I think he's going to recommend me somebody as well that can come on, give us a nice uh, in depth NHL preview. Uh, going, you know, it might be a little late, but you know, maybe a week or two from now, give us a nice NHL preview, what to expect going forward in the season and what not. All right, Justin, what is your complaintive of the week? My complaintive of the week is why are we still putting Bob Costas on playoff MLB broadcasting? Bob Costas, very, you know, just bland, very and, and very hot takeish. On the MLB playoffs and throughout his career, Bob Costas is just why? Why are you still put? Why is TBS still putting him on? I mean, that is like the kind of you know, you know, spot with not not the greatest you know decision for uh, for Turner. I mean, the NBA broadcast, even the NHL and the MLB broadcast is good. I mean, they're much better than ESPN or. You know some of these big networks here, but Bob Costas, what are we doing? My, Very hot take, yeah, artist. Yeah. My complaintive of the week uh, is the Patriots. A lot of reports coming out, a lot of speculations that the Patriots might be deliberately tanking this year to get another generational quarterback. Mac Jones, clearly not the guy. Juju Smith-Schuster being their best offensive weapon is absolutely a joke. They have an aging Zeke Elliott that's also kind of a joke as their best running back in the league. I think the Patriots went into this league knowing that they lacked a lot of talent. Known as an organization that plays chess while other teams play checkers, they're definitely thinking ahead. They know Mac Jones is not the guy. Um, yeah, that's my complaint. Of. I think they're doing a little bit of the Sixers process, but in the NFL, tailoring it more for the NFL. And yeah, they want that next generational quarterback in a draft uh, either a year from now. And I think the um, Patriots are actually tanking to um but doing it very strategically mind you so they don't get fined i think the patriots are tanking in order to get that next generational quarterback that can take them out of this hole that they're in now um okay we're going to switch our interview go to our interview now with arada asvandi from tsn 1050 going to talk a lot about the maple leaves uh maple leaves are massive over in toronto as you can imagine and Great interview with him. Blue Jays out of the wild card, out of MLB playoffs very early, and then 
Raptors, um, what are they going to do? Are they kind of slipping into that purgatory zone in the NBA and how do they get out of it? But yeah, we get into all that with him. Great interview. And without further ado, let's head north to outside the continental United States and talk to Arad Asfandi from TSN 1050. Okay, we now head up north and talk to Arad Asfandi from TSN 1050 in Toronto. Arad, first guest outside the continental United States, kind of a kind of going against our name a little bit on the podcast, but a lot of cool things going on in Toronto. Blue Jays, unfortunately, just eliminated, but Maple Leafs do start tomorrow night, uh, their season. I do want to start with the Blue Jays, though. Uh, unfortunate end to the season. Got blown out by the Twins in the wild card series. Uh, first game, 3-1 loss, and then an actual blowout game, 2 two nothing loss. I want to start with the Blue Jays just in general. Like, what was this a successful season for the Blue Jays? What were the fans' kind of reactions? Were they just happy just to make the playoffs, or were they expecting expecting more? They were definitely expecting more. It's been a couple years, last year and this year, where this team should contend for the World Series. This team shouldn't be happy with just making the playoffs. They're in that uh, competition window right now. So the feeling up north is one of massive disappointment. Disappointment with the offense because they did not show up in the wildcard series. They did not show up for 80% of the season. Disappointment in John Schneider and Ross Atkins and the front office for the handling of the team, for not getting another bat at the deadline, and the whole Barrios frasco and um, how Atkins basically threw Schneider under the bus on Saturday with his comments that, yeah, this wasn't our call. This was all Schneider's call. So there's a lot of disappointment and a lot of, um, I guess, negative feeling towards the Blue Jays right now. Yeah, I mean, what is the plans going forward? I mean, I know you just kind of touched on it a little bit, but I mean, is there any, are they still kind of in this win now mentality with the team that they have? Or is there any expectation that they might try to maybe blow it up in the next couple of years uh, if they can't get what they want? Well, Atkins said in his uh, posts um, after, I guess, after season presser that Schneider is coming back. So that indicates to me that they are still trying to compete. And I think that's the right call. Look, you have a very tight window in the AL East. We know how much Yankees and the Red Sox can spend and pull themselves back into the playoffs. Orioles are in the first year of a, you know, what's going to be a great team coming up, right? They got prospects left and right. Triple A, double A are just full of good young players. And the Rays are the Rays. They'll always be there. They'll always compete. So the chance for the Jays to compete is now. And I think the front office knows that. Uh, the owners, Rogers, are known to be not fully impatient, but semi-impatient there. They do want to see a winning product, especially because of all the money they spent on Rogers Center with the renovations. So I don't see any indication that they're going to blow it up. That being said... We had uh, Buster Olney on our show, actually, this morning, ESPN oh, wow. will be insider. And he talked about how he didn't say they are going to do this, but if they want to trade Vladdy, this is going to be the offseason to do it. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to try and compete for one more, maybe two more years. And they're going to have another couple kicks at the can. Was this, was this season particularly... Um... I don't want to say embarrassing, but bad for the Blue Jays, given that the Twins haven't won a world, haven't even won a playoff series since 2002. Yeah, I mean, same as last season, right? Mariners haven't made the playoffs. Longest drought in North American sports. They make the playoffs. They sweep the Jays on the road. 
Twins haven't won a series since 2002. Haven't won a playoff game since 2004. Sweep the Blue Jays in their home. So it was definitely embarrassing. And again, this was this was not a likable team to watch. There were so many problems, especially around the offense of just not hitting. There was a bad taste in everyone's mouth, especially around some of the trades they made. Especially watching guys like um, Moreno and Guriel right now in Diamondbacks raking it against the Dodgers. And the guy had to trade it for Dalton Varsho barely getting over the Mendoza line. So yeah, there was a lot of hard feeling and a lot of disappointment from Jays fans towards this team. Yeah, um, you know, you mentioned that obviously AL, uh, very tough division. Tampa Rays always going to be good. Mariners are good now. Orioles obviously very good, uh, struggling a little bit right now, but uh, going to be a really good team, really young team coming up in the future. Twins obviously are in there too. Got the Rangers. So I just, um, you know, for me, it's just. The Blue Jays team seem to me it's just they do a very good job in the regular season, but then they struggle in the postseason. And I don't know why that is, like why some teams are fine in the regular season. Like what is it about the Blue Jays that just once the postseason comes, they seem to they seem to really struggle to kind of get over that that hump. I mean, is there anything in particular about the postseason that affects this team? I don't know what it is. Because last year, the problem was pitching, right? They gave up too many runs. Alec Manoa was not good in game one. Game two, Kevin Gosman was good, but then the bullpen blew it. So it was the opposite of this year where it was the offense, right? They scored one run in the whole series. So to answer your question, you know, you can tell, you can see that there is something, but it's hard to put a finger on it because one year is the pitching, next year it's the batting. You know, one year they blame the manager, the other year they don't blame the manager. It's hard to put a finger on it, but there is definitely a, I guess, I guess a mental hurdle for them to get over when it comes to postseason baseball. I mean, in particular, I mean, what happened to the offense here, uh, you know, in the playoffs? I mean, they only scored, I mean, they only scored one run in the entire playoffs. I mean, the pitching, Minnesota pitching isn't anything, right? I mean, it's not anything to turn ahead against. They're definitely a very elite pitching squad, but just, a team that in the regular season is was so dominant at you know offense at hitting and now you know the the, the playoffs came and they, they couldn't even get on base. You know? It was it was a struggle all year with the offense. You know what I mean? Like uh, Springer had a down year. Matt Chapman started off hot first two months. His name was in the MVP conversation. His season took a nosedive. Vladdy didn't hit thirty home runs for a guy who's supposed to be a slugger. It was a guy for a guy who's supposed to be one of the faces of the league. Not to hit 30 home runs is a massive downfall. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez was a 40 home run hitter that they missed. They traded him for Eric Swanson, who ended up having a good season. And the other hand, yeah, Moreno behind the plate. They traded him because they thought Kirk will be the catcher of the future. Kirk was an all-star last year. This year, had an awful season. Uh, in the outfield, Varsho, again, great glove. Not a lot of bat to come with it. Kiermaier, the same thing. So the offense as a whole took a step back all year. And that's the number one need for them in the offseason. I think they need a power bat, especially as a lefty. Brandon Belt was good, but they need someone else to come in there and be able to hit after Vladdy. Do you think Vlad, any indication that Vlad's going to start to get impatient on the Blue Jays? Um... I think it's going to go both ways. I think he's going to get impatient with the Jays because they haven't signed them to a big extension yet, like guys like Acuna got. And at the same time, the Jays are getting impatient with him because he's not getting in any better shape. He's still, you know, let's be honest here, he's still out of shape. He's out of shape like me, but he's out of shape for an athlete. 
his hitting hasn't improved. He still chases uh, pitchers outside of the zone, and he can't catch up to the fastball, which is, you know, for a guy, as I said, who was supposed to be one of the faces of the league when it comes to hitting, not being able to catch up to the fastball and not being able to hit 30 home runs is not a good thing. Last time Blue Jays made the championship series, American League championship series, 2016, Mm-hmm. Would next year, I mean, given that they've had some struggle here in the playoffs, I mean, this year, a wild card outing, last year, wild card outing against the Mariners, who, you know, they were kind of historic in their own mind. We talked about earlier, missed the playoffs 21, lost wild card 2020, and then missed the playoffs again all the way up until 2016. So just would fans just love to even just see at this point, just get past the wild card? They would for sure, yeah. I mean, the fans would love to see them get past the wild card, get into the ALDS, maybe get into the ALCS. But the fans want to see a World Series contender. The fans don't want to see a team that sneaks into the playoffs and, you know, let's just hope for the best here. The fans want to see a team that makes the playoffs and competes in the playoffs. The fans want to see a consistent team from day one in April to the last day of the season in October. And the fans are, I guess, getting really tired of the inconsistent nature of the team. I do want to move on to the Maple Leafs. Um, Blue Jays season's over, but Leafs season just starting. Um, uh, we're, we're recording Much happier this. about that. <laughs> I know, I know. We're actually recording this on Tuesday. Uh, this uh, is coming out on Thursday, but uh, Leafs do start the season tomorrow uh you know yesterday at the time you're hearing this what are the you know what are the expectations for the maple leaves another team that is kind of you know had some disappointment in the playoffs these last couple years i mean what are the fans saying about the maple leaves coming up here not to be too general of a question uh no no i totally understand what you're trying to ask and just like the jays the leaves the fans want them to compete for the stanley cup you know the goal of winning one series is over now this is a team that got over that hump. Now it's time to win the Eastern Conference and compete for the Stanley Cup, especially with the injury to Vasilevsky, especially with the way, you know, Bergeron retired and everybody's expecting the Bruins to take a step back. Other teams in the division, Buffalo and Ottawa, they're young teams. They're so up-and-comers. And Florida has a lot of injuries after the Cup run last year. So the fans want to see the Leafs, one, win the Atlantic, and two, win a couple playoff rounds and at least make it to the Stanley Cup final because this is a team that's supposed to compete for championships, not just win a playoff series here and there. Yeah, for the longest time, yeah, they had a hard time, you know, getting over that first round hump and they were able to, you know, finally do it last last year. Are the fans concerned, though, about the Eastern Conference in general? I Definitely the better of the conferences, I would say, in the NHL, the Eastern Conference. Um, what are the, I mean, are the fans worried about that? Obviously, the Florida Panthers got extremely hot last year the Bruins were extremely hot all season they didn't do well in the playoffs but they were you know very hot all season uh you know Capitals are always going to be good Tampa Bay's in there too I mean what are the are the fans just worried about just where they're standing just even in the Eastern Conference though listen man Leaf fans are PTSD whatever you want to call it they have it right they always expect the worst they always expect Murphy's Law think about it they haven't won a Stanley Cup in a very, very long time. There are people that have been born and have passed away since the Leafs have won a cup last. So Maple Leaf fans always expect the worst. They always think the worst that is going to happen is going to happen. That being said, 
there is a lot of optimism this year. There is a lot of optimism that, yes, the, the East as a whole is a strong, strong conference, but the Atlantic, especially with Tampa and with Boston and with Florida, these three teams are not going to be good as last season. So, yes, the worry is always there for Leaf fans no matter what, but there is, I would say, more optimism than the years before based on the fact that Vasilevsky is going to miss a lot of time, based on the fact that Bergeron's retiring and the Bruins are not going to be as good, at least on paper, based on the fact that Florida's going to deal with a lot of injuries to start the season. There is some optimism there by Leaf fans, for sure. Talk about the Leaf side, though, with injury. I mean, are they concerned with Matt Murray being out? Six, I think it's six mm. to eight months I, I saw. He's out six to eight months, but uh, that's Vasilevsky's net. Like, everyone right. knows Vasilevsky is going to be number one. Joseph Wall is going to be number two. And they also got really lucky recently. Martin Jones didn't get claimed on waivers. So they do have three, you know, a proper number one, a proper number two, and a proper number three. So I would say there's no concern for them in net. And, you know, it's an awful thing to say, but I think a lot of Leaf fans, and I think management themselves are pretty happy that Murray's out long term so they can put his salary on LTIR and get some cap relief, which has been the uh, number one enemy here for the Leafs since 2017-18, since Tavares came to the team. How excited are, are um, people to see Austin Matthews after his uh, latest contract he just had? One of the best young talent in the league. I think he's actually extremely underrated, in my opinion. Uh, really fun to watch. Uh, just got a four-year, $53 million extension. What are the fans? I mean, do they expect a breakout year from him? Fans are expecting 50-plus goals, right? Wow. Uh, he was okay. kind of injured last season, but the year before, he you know, broke the all-time Leafs record. He got 60-plus goals. No one's expecting 60-plus, but fans are expecting 50-plus goals. Fans are expecting basically a point-a-game performance from him. And look, man, if he's on ice, he delivers. Since his debut, literally, he's been a great player. He's a top-line player. And fans are very excited to see what's next for Matthews. And as you said, there was some nerves going into the offseason that he may not sign an extension. You know, he's American, just like many other American players have left Canadian teams recently, like Johnny Goudreau with Calgary. There were some nerves that he might leave, but fans are very happy that he's signed long-term, that he's committed here, and that he's going to keep scoring goals for the blue and white. Yeah, let's talk about um, just about offense thing on that kind of side of the that side of it. Uh, Mitchell Warner, uh, Marner, excuse me, uh, Marner, damn, <laughs> excuse me, led the league in points, 99, and William uh, Nylander led the league, or led the team in goals at 40. Um, how, I mean, do we expect them to come back this year and play play at the same high level they did last year as well? For sure. Uh, Nylander is going to be back on the second line in the offseason. They wanted to switch him to center. He got some reps at center for the second line, but he looks like he's back on the wing. Tavares will be in center there. And they got Max Domi on the other wing of John Tavares, which they're really, really excited about. And then the top line, you got, you know, Matthews, Marner, and uh, Bertuzzi, Tyler Bertuzzi. They're really excited about those two guys. That uh, offside wing was very, very, I wouldn't say suspect because Yarncroke and... Um, uh, Kerfoot or whoever else was filling on the second line <laughs> did an admirable job but now you got some proper top line top six forwards in Domi and Bertuzzi filling in there so yeah Leaf fans are super excited about the top three lines and the offensive output that they could have 
my last question, I, I always ask this whenever we talk to somebody. Um, it, it, I mean, I know I talked about like with Paul Allen from Minnesota last a uh, couple of weeks ago about just the wild, you know, being the state of hockey. Well, Canada is the country of hockey, right? And so I always wonder, and I don't know if this is going to be a dumb question or not, but is there added expectation on the Maple Leafs just being one of the Canadian teams in the NHL? Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Look, um, like which city are you based from, if I may ask? I'm, not, I'm from Philadelphia, so we don't have much Philadelphia. expectations so, right now on the fly- Flyers. <laughs> well, think about it, though. Like, how much does Philadelphia love the Eagles? Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? They're the number one team, I would assume, in Philadelphia year-round, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with the Leafs. They are the number one team. They are the most popular team. Even with the Raptors recently winning the championship, Leafs are still number one when it comes to ratings, when it comes to, you know, art shows, uh, generation and fan content. So yeah, every single season, doesn't matter if they're a cup contender or doesn't matter if they're a rebuilding team. The Maple Leafs have the expectations of the world onto them. And, you know, this is probably the most... Maybe the Rangers, maybe the Canadiens, but I would say Toronto is the biggest hockey market in the world. And the Leafs are probably the team with the most pressure on them season in and season out. So even out, even out of the other Canadian hockey teams, you think the Maple Leafs are one of the biggest markets? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Toronto's the biggest city in Canada, and it's like biggest city, not by far, but by a good margin over Montreal. And people are hockey crazy, man. And people are just not hockey crazy in Toronto. People are hockey crazy in the Golden Horseshoe, right? One third of Canada's whole population lives in lives in southern Ontario, mm-hmm. right? Which is the area between, um, I guess, Buffalo, New York, and Toronto and Kingston. And, you know, they're 90% Leaf fans. And they're all hockey crazy. And, yeah, every single year... They want to see Leafs win. I mean, we take calls after every Leafs game. I should hear some of these fans, man. The highs and lows of what these guys go through is insane. And yeah, Leafs are number one. Like the same way that Eagles are in Philadelphia or Lakers are in LA, right? The whole microscope is on them. Even though there are other teams in the city and those teams are very, very popular, Leafs are always pressure, microscope, everything you want to call it. Yeah, and I never never been to Toronto actually myself. I really really want to go to Toronto. Are the I can only imagine like, just being so close to the border. I mean, is Toronto pretty Americanized? I can I imagine that it might be pretty Americanized, right? Um, um, if you ask a Canadian person, they would say it's Americanized. If you ask an American person, they hmm. would say no, it's Canadian. So it all depends on your perspective. I myself would say yeah, it's probably. You know, outside of like true border cities like Windsor, it's probably one of the most American cities in all of Canada for sure. It's very Americanized. What um that being said, I mean NFL always trying to expand. I know they've looked into this before, of course, in the past. Do the fans would the fans even want an NFL team in Toronto? If that absolutely, yeah. absolutely, the fans are clamoring for an NFL team. And look, hmm. CFL is the game up here. It's the league up here. It's Canadian football. But in Toronto, if you look at TV ratings, if you look at um, social media engagement, NFL is king. NFL is very, very popular. Like you should see on Sundays, bars are packed. Hmm. Bars are packed from one to, you know, whenever Sunday night football ends. So people would love an NFL team. 
I think the struggle would be that, you know, there's a lot of Bills fans here, a lot of Patriot fans, a lot of Cowboy fans, Niner fans. You know, every team has its own fan base. The struggle would be for the new NFL team to get these fans to abandon their childhood teams and to cheer for that team, which won't, shouldn't be a problem. You know, Toronto no. FC had the same issue. Now Toronto FC is very popular. Yeah, it's not the same thing either. I mean, you look at like San Diego moving yeah. to Las Vegas. I mean, that's that's not really the same scenario though. I mean, this would be a completely new first time NFL stadium or NFL team, I should say, in a in a you know in a city. So I don't think they'd have a problem with that. They would be really close to Buffalo though. That would be the interesting part. I mean, it, how far is it like from Buffalo? No, you. If you take the ferry, I mean, I know if you go around the little bend here, it might be a little bit longer. But if you take a ferry, I mean, you can be in Buffalo within what, probably how, how long does it take to get to Buffalo from Toronto? Uh, if you drive, honestly, on a day without traffic, you can get there in an hour and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah, people yeah, go to any... Buffalo to like shop. People go to Buffalo to watch Bills game. If you go to a Bills game, a lot of the license plates that you see are Ontario license plates. People coming from north of the border sure. to go watch the Bills, or in many cases, go watch the team that the Bills are playing. Yeah, they would have to. Um, yeah, they definitely would have to compete with that a little bit, that market. But I don't think they'd have any problem. I, I would love to see see Toronto have a football team, NFL team specifically. What have you heard anything like on your end, just about any recent rumblings, even if it's been the last like year or two? Have you heard any recent rumblings about you know Goodell? You know, having a stake up there? Unfortunately not. I yeah. think the NFL will go to London before they come to Toronto. Which they had insane, the man. Bills in Toronto series um, like 10, 12 years ago where the Bills would play a regular season game here for five mm -hmm. years. And it didn't really draw because at the time the Bills were awful and the teams they were playing were rarely good. Like I remember they had the Packers here and they sold out. Right, but the next year they had Bills and Dolphins, and both teams were like three and six, and the other team was like you know four and five. So there wasn't a lot of fanfare there. And uh, the stadium that they played in Rogers Center, it's a baseball stadium. Football right. doesn't really good there. That's why the local team Argos, the CFL team, left for another stadium. So they don't have a NFL ready stadium, as sad as it is to say. So that would have to come before an NFL team gets here, and that's not an easy task right now. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think Goodell also probably just figures, like you were just alluding to, I mean, they already have such a big fan base in Toronto already. So yeah. I guess in his opinion, I mean, you don't, you can't go to a game, don't have ticket sales, of course, but I guess in his opinion, they already have so many, such a big fan base there where overseas are still trying to, still trying to build that up more. I do want to move on to the Raptors. October 25th, they open the season, Minnesota Timberwolves. Grady Dick, um, he's coming in. To, to uh, Toronto, to the Raptors. I loved watching him last year. So fun to watch. How excited are the Raptors for uh, for Grady Dick's rookie season coming up here? Very, very excited. I gotta say, I mean, it's been a it's been a bittersweet off season. One because Fred VanVleet left, and at the time, everybody thought, okay, I guess this is the direction we're going in. We're gonna trade Siakam. We're gonna trade Ananobi. But then they signed Dennis Schroeder. And they're in this mushy middle, in this no-man's land, where they're not tanking, but they're not a top-five team. And as you know, in the NBA, that's not really a good place to be. Because you're not going to win a championship from the eighth seed. You know, you're not the Miami Heat. And at the same time, you're not going to get a high draft pick. So 
there is a level of pessimism going into the season, but at the same time, there's a lot of optimism going in because of Darko Ryakovich replacing Nick Nurse and revamping this offense. And as you alluded to, Grady Dick. People are very, very excited for Grady Dick, for his energy, enthusiasm, and finally to have a proper three-point shooter on the team. And as a broadcaster, I'm excited because of all the jokes we get to make. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, uh, Damon Lillard was the, the Raptors were one of the teams in talks for Damon Lillard. I mean, you could make an argument maybe every team was at some point, but how how true were those rumors? I mean, how close, if at all, did Toronto actually get to landing uh, Lillard, if at all? I think they got really close. I yeah. think. If they would have included Ananobi in their trade package, I think Lillard would have been traded to Toronto. That being said, that's assuming that Lillard would have wanted, wanted to play in Toronto. <laughs> mm-hmm. So those are the two great unknowns, right? One, if Dame got traded to Toronto, would he have shown up? Kawhi wasn't happy when he got traded to Toronto, but he ended up showing up and that season ended up in a championship. So that was the first question that I guess no one knows outside of Dame, right? Would he have shown up to play in Toronto? And number two, we kind of know the answer to this one. If the Raptors would have um, included one of Siakam or Ananobi, I'm pretty sure Portland would have pulled the trigger on the trade because the rumored package that the Raptors had was better than the initial package that the Blazers got from the Bucks. Now, that being said, after they flipped uh, Drew Holiday, they got a fantastic package for Lillard. I'm not sure how much you know about the details of the trade, but whether was there a third team involved in those talks like they had with uh, this past trade? Yeah, apparently um, Phoenix was also involved with okay, them so, from okay. what I read. But yeah, I mean, the there were two reports that said the Toronto trade. One, it said it didn't happen because of not having Ananobi or Siakam in the trade. The second one was because Dame himself was a great unknown if whether he was going to show up or not. Yeah, and it's funny because you say about, you know, would Dame even want to come to Toronto? But, I mean, it's not any colder in Milwaukee. There's not any colder in Toronto than it is in Milwaukee. And you can even make the argument, like I said, never been there, never been to Milwaukee either. But you can make the argument that Toronto is even a better nightlife, better <laughs> living environment than even Milwaukee is. I'm willing so, to bet money on that. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't even know if that's the argument because he obviously went to Milwaukee. And what, like I said, that's... I, I, I personally would probably want, rather go to Toronto if I was going to have to pick between two cities. So, yeah, unfortunately, it was just the better suitor was able to, to, to land him, unfortunately. But I do want to ask about... And that being said, and that... Sorry to interrupt there. No, but that being said, I totally understand why he would pick Milwaukee over Toronto in the basketball sense, right? When Kawhi Leonard got traded here, this team was one, well, you know, Marcus all later, two players away from a championship. Right now, I don't think they're even close to that. So I fully understand why Dame, for a guy who wants to compete for a championship now, would have said no to the Raptors. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, obviously on the Bucks, he has some people to play around with, but uh, Raptors might not be as deep as them, and that definitely could have also went into the conversation. Scotty Barnes, I do want to talk about him. Uh, do you, do the fans expect a breakout season from him? First two seasons of the league, average 15.3 points a game. Uh, I think he's fun to watch. I like him a lot. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him make a you know that next progression that I think he can make. And do the fans or the other fans excited to see that? Do they think that he is going to make that progression this year? Fans are very excited about him. The front office is basically annoyed at him. Their golden child. 
He was the untouchable in basically all trade talk. And if you look at the stats he has the first two years, I know he took a step back last year, especially in his efficiency and in his shooting. But there are a lot of people who think that in Darko Ryakovich's offense, which is more fluid, which is more ball movement versus Nick Nurse's ISO offense, that he will have a better season this year. And I kind of agree with him. He is a guy who needs the ball in his hands. He needs to be a playmaker. But he needs to be a playmaker in the post. And if he's shooting, then he needs to be a catch-and-shoot guy. And Nick Nurse's offense wasn't really conducive to that. Dirk Royakovich's offense, you know, I mean, it's only been one preseason game. Who knows? But from what I've seen from practice tape and from the preseason, it looks like it's more um, it's more suited for a guy like Barnes. You mentioned uh, Dirk Royakovich. Um, how do fans feel about him coming in? And... Second part of that question, how do fans feel about Nick Nurse going to Philly? Just the, the, the coaching at, swap that we had this summer. Yeah, at the beginning, people were not happy about it, especially since it is Philly. And, you know, the Sixers and the Raptors have had a rivalry mm-hmm. since, mm-hmm. you know, that 2001 Vince Carter series, right? right so right. it's been, yeah, it's been pretty long. So fans are not happy about Nurse leaving. But at the same time, Darko brings a like, such a different approach to it. Nick Nurse was the hard-ass coach. Darko seems like the player-friendly coach. So fans are excited to see, you know, what the, I guess, positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement does. And, you know, again, he's going to revamp the offense, right? It's going to make it a pick-and-roll ball-moving offense versus Nick Nurse's offense that I know in theory wasn't an ISO offense, but watching those games, it did look like an ISO offense. So fans are very excited to see one more, I guess, aesthetically pleasing basketball. And two, just a different voice in there with the players because a lot of people think that, well, the players got tired of Nick Nurse's constant negativity. But the players... That being said, Nick Nurse will always be a legend here. And whenever he retires, his name will go up the rafters in Scotiabank Arena. So it sounds like uh, the fans liked Nick Nurse then. They didn't have any problem with him. The fans liked him, but they knew that he has run his course. That Hmm. it's it's time for a change. Right? You can't trade all the players... So you got to take the coach out of there, unfortunately, for coaches in every sport. And so they actually have a uh, flip side of that uh, on the second part of the question. They actually have confidence in him in Philadelphia. It sounds like a nurse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that he's going to yeah, do a good job. Yeah. I mean, I think I think he's great for the Sixers because Sixers are way ahead in their um, build towards the championship. I think he is the type of guy that can get MB to, you know, to play better, to be more, um, I guess, uh, responsible for his actions. All depends on what Harden does, right? So we'll see there. We'll see the confidence there. I was going to say, I'm like I said, I'm from Philly. It depends who you ask if we're closer yeah. or further away from the championship. I mean, things aren't looking good right now. East just got way better. We just obviously, I mean, Celtics got Drew Holiday. We already know about David Little going to the Bucks and Cavaliers are going to be really good. Knicks are going to be really good. Um, you know, Miami Heat, you can never uh, cash out either. So, yeah, I, like I said, in Philadelphia, it really depends on who you ask, whether or not we're closer or further away than we were <laughs> even like a, a year or two ago, despite NBA just winning the MVP. This and I really- think Philadelphia has a bit of a Toronto in them in that sense of, um, you know, there's been so many sports heartbreaks over the years that there's mm-hmm. always that sense of dread and pessimism lingering in the corner, yeah. just like Toronto fans have with the Leafs and Jays. 
Yeah, I always, especially last year for the Phillies fans, I always reiterate this to people. I think uh, no time in history has of of one city lost multiple championships in one year, and then I think Philly, you know, Philly did it three times last year with with their soccer team, the Union, <laughs> um, yeah. Phil, uh, Eagles, and then obviously the Phillies as well. So <laughs> might even happen again this year. Hopefully not, but let's uh, <laughs> let's see. This has been really fun, Arad. I, I just have one more question for you. Um, you mentioned Fred Van Fleet. He left the uh, the Raptors, unfortunately. Raptors' only team, um, 500 last year, exactly 500. Uh, not only just Eastern Conference, but the entire league, 41 wins, 41 losses. Do you know your personal opinion, and I also want the fans' opinion, Do Toronto does Toronto get above 500, and do they even make the playoffs this year coming up? It's very hard to say, Jared, because mm-hmm. I don't think this team will be the team you'll see after the deadline. Got it. I okay. think they'll either play well and they'll add, or if they don't play well, I think Masai Ujiri is going to cut bait because he can't afford to have another player in Siakam leave for nothing. Fred right. Van Vliet left for nothing. Ibaka left for nothing. Gasol left for nothing. All these players from that championship run are leaving for nothing, which is making the rebuild harder and harder. So I think it's it's a bit of a cop-out. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you like an exact no, win or yeah. 500. Is, but yeah. yeah, this is going to be a different team after the, the NBA tread deadline than before. So until then, it's going to be hard to say. I personally think that they're going to play well. They're going to get that new head coach boost. And mm-hmm. I think they'll just sneak into the play-in. So something like 42 and 40, 43, 39, slight improvement, but not by much. I always mention this idea of the purgatory zone in the NBA. Uh, I think it's the, out of any sport, uh, you know, any American sport, uh, I think it's the biggest in, in the NBA, in my opinion, Uh, that idea that I agree with you, you never get bad enough to get a good pick and you never are good enough to make it far in the playoffs and Raptors are teetering very closely, very dangerously to that point right now. Uh, are the fans worried about this? Has this been talked about at all? Uh, you know, on the show, just people calling in, you know, whatnot. Number one topic. Number one topic mm-hmm. is the fans want this team to pick a direction. Right. Right. Either buy a player that puts you over the top, that puts you in the top four in the East, or sell Siakam, who's on his last year of his contract, who, despite of what people say, actually played really well last year. Averaged a career high in assists, actually, which was in a part of the game that he had before. 20-plus points, 8-plus rebounds. So the fans are clamoring for a direction. They just want the team to either, as you said, get a player like Lillard, that puts him in the top four, or trade Siakam or Ananobi or whoever and recoup. Let's start this rebuild already. So, yeah, it's yeah. been... This mushy middle, we call it here. You guys call it purgatory. Many names for it, right? Mm-hmm. It's the worst place to be in the NBA. In the NBA, you always want to be bottom four or top four. And yeah, they're right now in that middle zone, which is not a great place to be. Yeah, unless you're just, you know, the Pistons that's been, you know, the bottom four forever, it seems like. But yeah, I mean, Atlanta has been like that for a long time. They've been in that in that zone for a long, long yeah. time as well. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, hopefully, like they said, they pick a direction go the way of the Sixers start a process of their own and maybe they can, you know, get back, get back to that, you know, winning ways that we just saw a couple of years ago. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is what the fans want, man. This is what the fans want. They either want, you know, trade these young pieces and draft picks, get a good player, or trade these um, veteran players and get some pieces and go towards it. I don't think Ujiri and uh, the ownership are patient enough for a process-style full-on rebuild. I think it'll be like a shorter rebuild. It'll be a one or two, quote-unquote, retool if it happens. But at the same time, yeah, fans and even some of the media are clamoring for a direction for the Raptors to go in rather than just, you know, float in the middle. All right, man. Arad, this has been really fun. Definitely we'll do this again sometime. Uh, Thank you. you Anytime. Love love talking sports. Yeah, we'll definitely have you on again soon. Hopefully we, you know, the other guys can join and, you know, we'll have fun talking talking sports. Maybe middle of the season, Raptors see how they're doing. We'll catch in, check in. For sure, yeah. Anytime you need me, I had a lot of fun talking to you guys. And uh, yeah, good luck with uh, the podcast. All right, man. Yeah, we'll be in touch, right? For sure. Okay, Justin, great interview with Arad, but we are going to finish up the show with our maker and fakers of the week. I'm going to start with you, though. What is your maker of the My week? maker of the week is Aroldis Garcia of the Texas Rangers. So far in the postseason, he's been hitting 292 with a home run and and a five RBI. Sorry, two home runs and five RBIs for the Rangers this postseason. He's been a very good, sensational player for the past, previous three years for Texas. And for the Rangers, they're going to need his power more, and they're going to need his defensive fielding as well as they take on the Houston Astros in the ALCS. So Roldis Garcia is my maker of the week. My maker of the week, Arizona quarterback Noah Fafida, balled out against USC uh, last week. No one knew about this guy, but he torched the USC offense. Unreal stat line, 25 for 35, 303 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. Pushed a natty contender to three overtime and barely, barely came away with the victory. This guy has been quietly dominating in his possessions while also fighting a QB battle against Jaden D. Lorea for the starting spot. This guy, I, I think he's extremely an underrated quarterback in Arizona. Arizona's just a bad team in a Pac-12 that's also dismantling uh, after next year as well. But I do think Noah Fafita is definitely a name to look out for uh, going forward in this college football season. And he showed it last week when they played against USC and absolutely, absolutely just played an amazing game against uh, a way, way better USC team. Justin, what's your faker of the week? Faker of the week? I'm going to stay in Dallas, and we're going to go to the Cowboys now. Micah Parsons, what a faker. I mean, he just said, you know, that, that the Cowboys were, you know, played a good defensive game against the 49ers which they got blown out and still swapping jerseys, I believe, with Christian McCaffrey after you got beat 42-10. to 10. Micah Parsons, I mean, this guy is on a whole different planet. I don't know where his mind is. Throwing darts at Joshua Dobbs at the beginning of the year against the Card- against the Cardinals, trying to prep mm-hmm. for that game. And then he... And then he uh, he said like, "Oh, we're still we're still a great team after you got just your asses whooped on Sunday Night Football at San Francisco." So Micah Parsons being a faker—that's my faker of the week. Yeah, I think it's it's his podcast, right? The Edge Podcast, I think, yeah. is what it's called. Yeah, he came out and said that they're still on the same level as San Francisco after losing thirty-two. Literally, like the, a day or two after you know getting absolutely demolished on. 
uh, prime time. He comes out and says that they're on the same level as the team that just demolished him. That's actually my faker of the week, too. I mean, specifically just the defense, um, which Parsons obviously is part of. But, uh, yeah, just Brock Purdy just had an absolute had an absolute field day on the Cowboys. 17 for 23, 252 yards, four touchdowns. Brock Purdy just looks so comfortable. People are finally starting to give him the recognition that he deserves, though. And I'm, I love seeing that. People are starting to say that he's a top five quarterback in the league, that it's no longer a Shanahan system thing. He's actually just a good quarterback. And he showed that, uh, again, when they played on primetime under the lights. Absolutely uh, humiliated the Cowboys. Cowboys defense was they kept saying was the most elite defense in the league. All the Dallas fans were saying it. the Dallas Cowboys themselves were saying it in the locker room, but no, that's not the case. Uh, Cowboys, as we all expected would happen. Uh, maybe those outside of Dallas expected what happened. I should say all um, going into their midseason form. Once again, Dak Prescott going into his midseason form, careless interceptions, just like last year uh, under the lights against San Francisco alone. Three interceptions for only as one touchdown. Yeah, De- Cowboys. These next two weeks for the Cowboys are going to be absolutely vital for them because they are they are getting into that. Not only just the defense or Parsons himself himself, but the actual whole team of the Cowboys is ve- uh, venturing very close to being a perennial just overall faker. Chargers next week. Uh, that's going to be a primetime game as well. That's going to be a tough game. And then the Rams will be a tough game. Eagles, three weeks from now, will be a tough game. Fortunately, they got the Giants, Panthers, Commanders, then, you know, starting after these next three weeks. But uh, yeah, these next three weeks are going to be very, very tough and vital for the Cowboys just to kind of keep their conversation out of a um, just major, major failure for the season and a major, major faker from all the talk they were talking going into the season. Okay, Justin, awesome show. Um, going to have on somebody from Houston uh, on Saturday show. Astros said it earlier. Awesome team, amazing team. Going to be the toughest out in the playoffs, and I actually even have them uh, winning the World Series. Going to talk, um, you know, Texans as well. CJ Stroud playing amazing. Stroud boys, we're all Stroud boys. And, yeah, just overall great interview, and we'll touch in with him later. But until then, uh, everyone just keep on traveling. Oh,